Good afternoon. I hope you guys are having a wonderful day, especially on this Sunday. Uh, it's been an interesting week to say the least, so let's go ahead and get started. And of course, we're starting with comics. Today, we're going to be talking about Immoral X-Men issue number one, which is a part of the Sins of Sinister event. So, the comic begins with Nick Fury and a few other, I'm guessing, S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, they don't really clarify who they are, are trying to disable the Cerebral Satellite, which I'm guessing they use uh, to basically read the minds of everybody in space to cover the entire planet. Again, this isn't really clarified, but guesses. But basically, they're talking about disabling it, they're about to jump off a window, and they jump, but they end up falling to their death. I was very confused because I thought I missed something, like them being shot or something, so I turned the page, and it's revealed that Xavier shut down their minds. Both him and Emma uh, go to the Quiet Council and talk about their plans for the future of the Empire. They're talking about their 10-year plan, 100-year plan, 1,000-year plan, and how they're eventually going to spread out their control to the universe, but are going to have to deal with the Kree Empire, uh, the Shahari, and a bunch of other people. So, very interesting to see them plan everything out. Uh, Mr. Sinister is in a cafe. He's complicating or uh, basically talking to himself about how everything went wrong, how the timeline's messed up, and he's surprised they're not speaking French. I learned this, and I did not know this. He's English, so he despises the French, which I kind of find funny. Anyway, uh, he goes back to his lab where he talks to his clone uh, that he made for himself just to bounce ideas, and he complains further of what's happening. It's funny because he's basically saying he's surprised that the timeline hasn't gotten messed up where all they're all speaking French, God forbid. <laughs> Again, I guess it's a tidbit to how the English and French do not get along, even to this day. Uh, he also complains about how his most secret lab has been stolen, which houses all the Morias. If you remember the previous comic with Storm, he was going to reset the timeline anyway, according to Destiny, but she did not want that. Uh, the clone jokes about putting all the eggs in one basket, so Sinister has a plan because to him, his children, or his basically fusions between uh, the X-Men and his DNA have gotten out of hand where they're no longer listening to him, that they're planning to do their own thing, which is something he does not want. So he plans to kill Emma Frost, but uh, after he tells the clone he's going to do that, he kills the clone. Very, very sinister. <laughs> uh, that was a corny joke. Anyway, uh, he goes to Emma Frost's room to attempt to kill her, but as soon as he gets the needle ready and tries to inject it, it breaks. And it's revealed that Emma Frost is always in her diamond form when sleeping. And that she has a telepath tied up to the wall to basically put on that illusion that she is not in her diamond form. He attempts to escape, which he does, and Emma informs the Quiet Council that there is going to be a hunt for Sinister. So they plan out where he might be. Uh, it's funny because they make a joke about how Paris is an option, but he might never even go there. But considering Sinister might be desperate, they send magic anyway. Uh, Emma Frost finds him and a Sinister attacks her with a weapon aimed to actually destroy her diamond form. It does destroy her arm, but she puts something called a Logan patch, which I guess has his DNA to... 
activate his mutant ability to heal, and she regrows that arm. Uh, Sinister reveals chimeras of Scott, but Emma mind controls them and states there's not a, um, what does she say? Oh yeah, there's not a Summers that I cannot manipulate, and that is that just amazing. She then basically beats up Sinister and makes him beg for his life, where he basically lists off the new type of chimera he's been working on, that uh, without them, he won't, they won't be able to expand their new empire and how he can still be useful. And it's just incredible to see Emma Frost being this powerful, especially since he can't do anything about it. She is a much better telepath than him. And to the fact where she actually telepathically makes him beg is just something else. So uh, that's it for the comic where Sinister is having to prove himself useful to keep himself alive while also looking for his secret lab that nobody knows about. So... That's Like I said, that's it for the comic, and what makes this even more interesting is this is the last issue for the 10-year frame. So the next issues for this event is going to expand to the 100 years, and it should be interesting because I don't know if they're going to keep resurrecting themselves to last that long or everyone's going to age. Who knows? It should be interesting to see where this kingdom is at at 100 years and if they're at war with the other empires. Anyway, moving on to DC, and I gotta say, Tom Taylor has done it again. I have always enjoyed his work. I am always the first to compliment it because his work in Injustice, Deceased, has been amazing, and it shows here with another wonderful issue of Deceased, War of the Undead Gods, issue number six. So Lobo was hired by this kingdom to save the universe, and he asks what's in it for him because Lobo doesn't care if the universe goes to hell. He's basically immune to the virus because of his healing factor. So, I mean, to him, he'll just go around killing and shooting and doing whatever he does. So they come up with a plan of payment to do come up with sexual stuff so that Lobo never gets bored. That's, um... <laughs> I mean, that's Lobo for you. That's not uncharacteristic of him, so that's what I love. Anyway, he agrees and goes off. Uh, the issue turns back to Superman, seeing a, kill, a Kilowog's world die. Like, there's nothing he could have done. Billions, trillions of lives lost. And he is angry. He is furious, but he takes time to comfort Kyle as he grieves for the loss of Jon Stewart and Kilowog. Uh, then the issue switches to the fight between the Spectre and Mr. Mpilix. I can never pronounce his name. Anyway, the Green Lanterns attempt to help, but are basically like gnats to him. And are killed. Easily. Which makes sense considering this dude is uber powerful. Uh, meanwhile, on Earth 2, everyone is trying to figure out a game plan. So they decide to go back to Earth 1 and make a whole bunch of cures to distribute without to, throughout the universe. Um, one thing that's interesting of, is that the cure is still on the table. It's just how they're going to make enough to heal everybody, which is a concern. Because if you think about it, if you have a zombie apocalypse going on and you have the cure 
Sure, that's one half of the battle. You still have to distribute to another part, which is something I never thought about until now. So that's actually kind of interesting. Anyway, uh, Big Barda and Mr. Miracle are going to look for their son. But before they can move out, they see that their mother box that they use to summon boom tubes has been infected with the virus. And the new gods suddenly appear on Earth too, and so do many of the infected. John tells his mom and Damien to evacuate and get as many people as they can to Earth-1. And they have to go via spaceships. They can't be boom-tubed because that's where all the infected are. And considering the mother box is infected, going through an infected boom-tube just gives, uh, I believe, according to the Black Death, means that they'll be instantly infected. So Damien gets to Alfred, and as more and more infected come in, uh, during the commotion, uh, Adam, not Adam, yes, actually Adam Stranger, I forgot about him. For some reason, I was thinking of another person. Adam Stranger infects Leslie Thompson, who uh, Alfred has been basically talking to and, and this version is in a relationship with. He gets very emotional because he's lost so much. Um, after this happens, uh, it switches back to the powerhouse fight between uh, Mr. McPillix and, of course, the Spectre. Superman flies so fast that he distracts Mr. McPillix enough for the Spectre to land a killing blow. But before Mr. McPillix, I'm going to be glad not to say his name again, leaves or dies, he rips Jim Corrigan, uh, uh, basically killing the host. And... Uh, dispensing of the Spectre because the Spectre cannot appear without a host. So uh, Jim Corrigan basically tells Superman to save the universe they all love and he ends up dying. Uh, back in Earth 2, Highfather appears in front of Damien and Alfred. Damien attempts to protect Alfred and fight the new god but because this dude is on par with Darkseid, it, yeah, there's no plot armor with this. Uh, he gets punched and is basically down for the count and it's like watching like a dude swat a fly. He did nothing. Uh, Alfred moves in between them and lets out a war cry, putting everything he's felt through the trauma of seeing the Waynes dead, to putting down his three sons before there was a cure, to preventing that basically preventing them from ever coming back. And the Spectre hears it, and he hears Alfred's call, and he, Alfred becomes the host of the freaking Spectre. And one punches Highfather. And the comic ends with the next issue being revealed for the Battle of Earth 2. Now, this was amazing. Especially for Alfred becoming the host of the Spectre. I did not expect it at all. And this is uh, the last of the two issues. So there's two more issues coming out, which is basically going to be the end of this entire storyline. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to do it, but it should be interesting. Not to mention, uh, there's some uh, stuff that's been not answered uh, through the uh, previous books, like Stephanie Brown. She died, but Damien's mom, Talia Ghul, was going to revive her. Is she going to show up? I don't know. I really don't. So, who knows, I just enjoyed this comic book, and Tom Taylor has done it again. I am so looking forward to issue number 7 and issue number 8, and even though I've read this already, I'm probably going to buy the complete version because it's just an amazing storyline. 
just amazing. Anyway, that's it for comics. We're going to be moving on to TV shows. So I wanted to talk about the last two episodes of The Last of Us before, of course, episode seven and episode five. Wow. <laughs> I am so glad that bloaters don't exist in real life. My God. And the fact that I get a lot of people thought, oh my God, it was going to be CGI, but it was kind of like uh, Jurassic Park where it was not only CGI, but practical effects because the suit itself was actu an actual suit. It cost, I think they said half a million dollars to actually make. And you could see it right then and there. It was just amazing just seeing the bloater, seeing how intimidating it was. Because, I mean, shoot, uh, before, of course, I'm getting ahead of the episode, but just seeing that monster just take so many bullets and you just think of the game where you're just uh, shooting it and you're like, wow, that's, um, yeah, that's crazy. Anyway, but the beginning of the relationship and actually getting to know why the, I forgot her name, the main villainess is after Henry and Sam is because Henry snitched to the QV about her brother and they basically killed him. And she wants revenge because of that. She wants, she got revenge on all of the rats and snitches and informants that ratted them out for favors, for food, and... Uh, Joel even comments that he's heard rumors about what was happening in the QV with the corruption and just the random killings and Henry basically confirmed it saying it was absolute hell but he needed medicine for his brother and that's why he snitched and now that's end up nuts because that actually led to this revolution anyway it was really great to see the dynamic between the two the brothers and Joel and Ellie and Ellie and Sam's relationship was pretty cool. I liked how they kind of explored it, especially when they went into that small bunker room under the city. And when they got to where they were going, I liked the fact with the whole sniper situation. It kind of reminded me of a part of a game. I don't think Sam or Henry were there, but where he had to go around the house and actually kill the guy. And once all the people from the city found out where they were and they surrounded them and then you heard the ground shook and all the infected came out running, the clickers, that was insane. That little girl who played the girl clicker, absolutely amazing. And of course, we come to the end of the episode where we find out, well, people who didn't play the game found out that Sam was bit. And yeah, we all knew where that was going. But it's funny because in the game, we didn't find out until after he was infected. Here, he shows Ellie and Ellie tries to uh, give some of her blood to him to see if that helps, which was interesting because that kind of pushes the narrative of how this is all going to end on why Ellie wants to go through what's going to happen. Again, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to spoil anything. Because people who have not played the game don't know what's coming. And wow, that's going to be uh, interesting. But seeing Henry having to kill Sam and realizing what he's done and then killing himself, that was nuts. Seeing it again for a second time. Uh, one thing I'll say is uh, her, them burying them and her writing I'm sorry on that piece of paper was something. Also another change from the game is that uh, Sam in this show adaptation is deaf. Which, I mean, isn't a big change, but it was kind of interesting to see. Not to mention that piece of paper he was writing on, that he just had to flip it up and then it was clear again. I honestly didn't know what that was. I had to look it up. And I still forgot what it was. <laughs> 
Ah, but it was actually kind of interesting seeing that, like an old toy. And that's actually kind of useful. I mean, you just flip it up and then you can write it on again. Uh, but rip anyone who puts their notes on that because that can uh, lead to bad stuff. Anyway, moving on to episode six. I got to say, this was actually pretty good. I loved, loved the old couple in the beginning. I loved it how he was telling his wife, you made them soup? It's cold outside. Or the fact that Joel was like, you better be telling us this the same location that your wife told us. And he looked at her and was like, did you tell him the truth? Yeah. You telling me the truth? Yeah. <laughs> it was really nice. Like a little like authentic humor and dry. I really liked that. I like the fact that Joan Ellie basically got to talking, especially what happened with Sam and how he she basically tried to save him. Uh, and then the part where got me worried was when they got to the location over the river, which they called the Deaf River. Uh, they were surrounded, which was different from what happened in the game where they met Maria and the people from the community. Uh, when the dog went to Ellie to see if she was infected and couldn't smell that, I actually found that kind of interesting that while dogs are good at sniffing stuff, it they're not great at it, that they're not going to overdo a machine. But anyway, I liked how... Uh, they met with Joel and when Maria was explaining how they kept this a secret and making sure no one had radio contact with anyone on the outside, you saw the look that Tommy gave Joel. Like, don't say anything. Because remember, the reason why they went out on this trip is because Joel was going to look for Tommy who hadn't responded. So they were responding even though that Tommy knew he shouldn't have. And he and you see that Joel is hurt because he never told him about that place because of all the stuff that he did before. Even Maria sees Joel as a negative because of all the stuff they had to do to survive before. One thing that was interesting that I saw was the fact that Ellie realizes what people had to worry about before the whole collapse. The fact that uh, people were worried about what skirt to put on with this, the clothes, the uh, boys, the girls, and it's just baffles her which is interesting because it happens in the game one thing that didn't happen in the game and from what i heard is because they didn't have the time or the budget was to do the damn scene which is understandable you have nine episodes to tell the story so you do have to pick and choose what you have to say or what you have to show and the scene that between tommy and joel was just incredible especially seeing them go from arguing in one scene to actually talking everything out to the point where Ellie and Joel had to have that conversation where they're fighting because Joel doesn't think he'd be enough to take her the rest of the way because he's gotten old. He's needing help more and more. He's slow. And I love the fact that at the end, uh, he gave her a choice and Ellie still went with Joel. And I love the fact that he was teaching her how to shoot and he actually, she was missing and he was telling her how to do it. She was like, no, this gun is just bad. And then he actually does it. It just, the, the chemistry between the two is just amazing. Anyway, as soon as they went to the university, I knew what was coming. I knew it. I was wondering if they were going to put the basement scene, but they didn't, which again, they only had a certain amount of time and a budget to do stuff. So what made things different was when Joel got injured, he fell on a pipe after falling two stories, which I didn't think was going to happen like that because it's kind of like, how is that believable in real life? Because they were, honestly, they were putting a little bit more realism than The Walking Dead did here. Anyway, one thing I loved was the fact that Ellie 
was playing a more productive role when she was shooting the other people, especially after uh, she got Joel back on the horse and when he fell, revealing all that blood. And now we're actually going to be going into Left Behind, which was DLC content. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how they put Riley into this mix and showing why, in the game at least, she wanted to get the cure to cure the people. And I guess in the show, they're developing that now and showing the viewers what happened the day she got bit. So again, I'm really excited about this. Can't wait for episode 7. And after that, just two more episodes. It's going to be nuts, especially that last episode. Don't know if I can prepare for that one. Anyway, that's it for TV shows. We're moving on to movies. First of all, they're making a remake or reboot of Hellboy. And this time it's going to be called Hellboy the Crooked Man. I really don't know because this is going to be the third adaptation of Hellboy in the past 20 years. Personally, I like the Ron Perlman movies. Get them to make that back. I mean, they should have finished the trilogy. It would have been amazing, but I mean, I guess all that makeup, Ron Perlman is up there in age, and I guess he doesn't want to do it anymore, which is understandable because I think he had to be there for eight hours for all that makeup. Heck, even uh, Jim Carrey said he had to learn uh, torture prevention stuff from a CIA agent to get through doing all the makeup for the Grinch. So, I mean, I guess it's a lot. Heck, I don't think I could sit still for eight hours every day Ooh. anyway uh so this is like the also the third one after the david harbour hellboy which i will give him credit when credit is due he played a really good hellboy and could have been an amazing actor to carry the torch and all that stuff but the writing was not good it was not good at all it was just terrible i remember being on the plane watching the movie asking myself what the heck were they thinking so I don't know who's going to be playing the new Hellboy, but we'll see what happens. Apparently, this is supposed to be a supernatural horror film instead of it being an action film. We'll see where it goes. I'm 50-50 on the fence for it, but who knows? Maybe I'll be wrong and it'll be good. I'm hoping. Speaking of things that may be good, but it's probably not, is the new Children of the Corn remake is coming out next month. I did not know there's another Children of the Corn remake coming I didn't know it was coming to theaters. Why didn't I know about this? Because they just released the trailer for it and it looks bad. It really, really looks bad. I've never been a fan of Children of the Corn. I've never really seen the movie, but the acting seems bad over the top, especially for the children. I mean, I heard they're gender swapped the main villain of the original film from a boy to a girl. And some of the clips I saw, the guy was intimidating. This girl is not. It kind of looks like she's just having a bad tantrum. And I just, yeah, I don't know what's going on. And for some reason, Children of the Corn never gets to see a good movie after the original. It's very weird. But again, we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll be wrong and maybe it'll be good. Uh, moving on. Uh, apparently, the people who made John Wick are coming out with a new film set in world war ii with a man from sweden nicknamed sisu i guess that's the it kind of looks like sisu or something like that anyway uh it looks like it's going to be over the top action senseless violence and just a good old time honestly the guys who make john wick i've yet to see a bad movie they've made 
So I am super excited. I can't wait and wonder if the, this connects to a whole different universe or whatever. So who knows? I'm excited. So we'll see how that one goes. Uh, anyway, another film I'm actually excited about because I remember hearing this joke and watching the video of it from Bert Kreschier's uh, viral video about him going to Russia in college and being named The Machine. So this is taking place apparently years later and it's a sequel to that joke with Mark Hamill playing his dad and now because of what he did in Russia, which it will explain and go over as a teenager, uh, he's now being kidnapped and brought there to atone for some of the stuff he did and all that stuff. Honestly, it looks like it's a fun movie. Mark Hamill is just amazing in the trailer. It's funny. So who knows? I'm excited for it and we'll see where, uh, what happens. Uh, another movie coming out is called, uh, about my father, which has Robert De Niro and another comedian, Sebastian Maniscalco. I am very sorry if I butchered that last name. Anyway, they're playing father and a son duo, and apparently, uh, Sebastian and his fiance are going to spend the Fourth of July weekend with her, with his future in laws, and he's encouraged to bring his father, which he's kind of embarrassed about. It looks like it's going to be a fun culture class movie. And it's going to be played for laughs, and I'm excited about it. It really looks funny, and the way this dude in his um, skit and jokes and his routine describes his father, it looks like it's going to be on par. So I'm excited for it, so we'll see what happens. Anyway, moving on to video games. Sons of the Forest, which is a sequel to the horror game The Forest, has been released and it's actually getting good reviews, which isn't surprising because this game is almost, what, 10 years in the making? And from what I've heard, it's improved on everything that made the first uh, video game amazing. So one thing that's different is this includes multiplayer. So you can play with your friends, especially if they're big fans of first-person survivor horror. I'm not a big fan of it, but kudos to those who are and have the patience to craft do all this stuff. I'm I'm not that guy. I'm sorry, but it's it's just not me. But I'm excited that everybody who's gotten the early access to this game are enjoying it, having fun, playing multiplayer, and just having a good old time. Because honestly, that's what I like about these types of sequels. They improve on what happened with the first game, and they're good. They're not terrible. They're not cash grabs. They're true to their art form. Anyway, another game that I I wasn't aware of, and honestly, now that I am, I'm excited about, is called Off the Grid, which is a cyberpunk-style battle royale. And what makes this interesting is this battle royale and the world has been created by Neil Blomkamp. And if that name sounds familiar, he's the person who made Chappie, Elysium, and District Number 9. Also, uh, another person who's created this world is Richard Morgan, who wrote the Altered Carbon, Altered Carbon, my apologies, books. And Oliver Henright, 
who directed video game franchises like Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, and a bunch of other Ubisoft games. So this world already has uh, people creating it who are fantastic in their own field, especially with the two of the biggest one being Neil Bl- uh, Blomkamp, who made uh, like cyberpunk-esque futuristic movies, uh, dystopians, and especially Richard Morgan, who basically wrote something similar in the books, uh, making this world. So we know it's going to be interesting. So they, I only knew about this because they released an episode which kind of ties in the world and what's going on. And I got to say, it was actually really good. And considering how stacked the people behind the narrative is, it's amazing. So the cinema story video that they have for this world is really great. It kind of looks like a Love, Sex, and Robots episode, which I didn't mind. I was really into it. I was like, dang, where the heck is episode two? I would definitely recommend seeing it. It's on YouTube. And honestly, one thing that's going to be different is that there's a story behind this battle royale. And depending on what you do, it's actually going to affect the environment of the battle royale what while you're in the game so it looks like it's going to be this new gen future of the battle royales and it seems like it's going to be doing something different taking the old formula and just mixing it up and adding some new stuff so hopefully it's good hopefully it's not bad because yeah i'm i'm done jumping on the hype train for stuff Anyway, speaking of the hype train, Atomic Heart has finally been released. And a lot of people are having problems with the game because it's made by Russian developers and it takes place in a, in the Soviet Union. So a lot of people are commenting that they're supporting Russia in the Ukraine war. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. I will say this, uh, they added this old Soviet cartoon I think it's like a fox and a hare, which is supposed to be a ripoff of Tom and Jerry. And there's some images in there, which is very racy. Again, this cartoon came out in the 60s in Soviet Union. So, I mean, I guess it's for the era this game takes place. So, I I, I don't know. I don't know what the developers were thinking with this, because I saw the cartoon a little bit. And I was like, wow, this is um, this is kind of bad, but I guess it fits the era. But anyway, uh, besides that, uh, the game is very interesting, and it's just, I, I can't stop comparing it to Bioshock or Fallout. Uh, the Russian environment, again, is very interesting, especially with everything going on in the real world. The voice acting for the main character is, I'm just going to go right and say it, horrible. Cringe, even. Uh, the gameplay is okay. The robots are very interesting. That fridge... Um, yeah, someone needs to spray that fridge with a bottle of holy water or something. Anyway, it's an okay game. Uh, the open world is somewhat interesting. The mechanics are okay. The gunplay is fine. Like I said, when you get to the abilities that you're able to do, I just couldn't stop comparing it to Bioshock. I really couldn't. But I'll give the game a 6 out of 10. If they fix the bugs... Uh, Maybe it'll be higher, but it's one of those games where you play it once and then you're good. There's no replay value in it, so I guess it is what you pay for it. Uh, Another game, which I'm actually excited for just because it's a franchise that has yet to disappoint, unless they add freaking Akuma again. I'm I'm sorry, but in Tekken 7, why did you add Akuma? Why? Why did you do it? Akuma does not work in the world of Tekken. 
And you know why that is? It's because he can use range attacks. In Street Fighter, that works. You have multiple people able to use ranged attacks like the Hadouken and other stuff. In Tekken, no, it does not work. There are no ranged people in Tekken that last. I mean, seriously, playing Tekken 7 and having someone use freaking Akuma ticked me off because he could just be on the other side of the map and just spam really, really bad. Anyway, a clip for Tekken 8 shows the gameplay for Kazuya and wow, it looks amazing. The graphics are so clean. They did not spare any time utilizing the full power of Unreal Engine 5, which means sadly for those Tekken players who has yet to get a next-gen console, you will not be able to play it. It's not compatible with the previous generations, and it looks like it's never going to be. So I'm sorry about that, but I guess we're coming to the stage on where there will no longer be releasing last-gen uh, console games. Which, I mean, it's been three years. Honestly, it's been three years. Uh, they released a lot of the games, and I get it that some games and consoles are hard to find, but with everything uh, calming down now, it should be easier. for So for those of you who don't have a PS5, who don't have an Xbox Series X, your time is now. Get it, grab it, and join us in the next generation. Anyway, uh, moving on, Minecraft has released a DLC, and it's actually Mega Man. So it's actually pretty interesting. I was not expecting Mega Man to show up for Minecraft, let alone Mega Man X. Uh, and this will be a treat for Mega Man fans, especially uh, ones who've been itching for a new game with the old 2D playstyle. And apparently with the city that they've built in, within this world, you'll be able to play as if you're playing the old games. They have nine weapons to choose from to fight the Mavericks. And I like how they kind of mimic some of the gameplay from the old school games. Fans will be happy. And you know what? They deserve a win. They definitely deserve a win after the terrible games that have been released. Heck, when fan games are better than the studio's games, you got a problem and you need to start hiring these fan people. Anyway, uh, one thing that's been released is the new gameplay for the fighting styles of Jedi Fallen Survivor. And they are interesting. Now, there is going to be five styles in total. And, of course, I'm not going to go over the first two because if you played Fallen Order, you already know about them. Uh, the new ones, on the other hand, is interesting. So, dual wielding is going to be for more the reckless fighter. You'll be able to parry, but if you're not careful, you'll be opening yourself up to attacks. So that's the first one. In the first game, you were only able to dual wield for an attack, and it was just brief. But this time, you're actually able to do it. The next one is going to be cross guard, which, if for those of you who don't know what that is, think Kylo Ren. That's basically what it is. Now, this is going to be the most powerful form. But you will be much, much slower and at risk for getting attacked and countered. It is not great for fighting multiple enemies. And apparently there's going to be an extreme skill curve to those who want to use it. So if you're not used to it and it's really hard, just skip it and move on to a next thing. Because they already stated that this style is not for the faint of heart and... 
I guess if we're going to be playing on the higher difficulties, especially if you die once, you got to reset the game. Good luck. Those who do it, my condolences for the hours spent trying. Uh, anyway, the next one is going to be a blaster, a lightsaber combo. So apparently the blaster won't be OP and it won't be good for long distances. My guess is it's to uh, interrupt those with a more complicated fighting style like enemies like in the first game you had enemies with non-stop combos and you would get overwhelmed so my guess that's what the blaster is there for you blast them to stun them stagger them and just uh, swing them away with the lightsaber we did not see gameplay footage for this but honestly when the time comes for us to get it i'll just see how it is in person i'm excited for these new additions being added and it should make the game more interesting like I said, this game is definitely a pre-order game because I love the first one and with them adding all this stuff and the story should be cool. Not to mention, we're getting a character and a race we haven't seen since the Clone Wars movie. Not the TV show, the one that took place between episode 2 and 3 where you had these guys in armor and they had tentacles that were able to regen. Obi-Wan uh, fought them. If you go under the Star Wars section in Disney+, Plus, you'll see them as like non-canon stuff. But they're still good. It's still really good. And the same person who directed Samurai Jack directed these ones. Amazing. If you haven't had the chance, I definitely would recommend it. Uh, next on the agenda... Mortal Kombat 12 has been announced or leaked to be the next NetherRealm studio releasing. And here's the funny thing. It's releasing this year, not next year, not the year after that, 2023. Now, I'm very surprised at this because one, usually after a Mortal Kombat game, they usually release an Injustice sequel, which they've done. You had Mortal Kombat 9. I think they did Mortal Kombat 10 before releasing Injustice one, they had another Mortal Kombat game, then you had Justice 2, and then they had uh, Mortal Kombat 11. So I'm very surprised that Injustice 3 was not the next sequel announced, which you know what, I'm okay with. I'm just very curious to see where the story will go, especially since the last time we left Mortal Kombat, they reset the timeline and uh, there was a new guy playing Raiden. I'm trying to remember his name. And um, what was his name? Liu Kang. That, that's it. Liu Kang is basically the new Raiden. So I'm very curious to see where it all goes. But one thing I also want to talk about is the DC characters. Not DC. DLC characters. I cannot speak today. I'm very curious to see who they're going to bring for this. And they still, despite having brought horror movie characters, different movie characters, comic book characters into the previous games, there's still a lot more people they can bring into it. Like Batman. I know with the late Kevin Conroy being gone, adding Batman would be an amazing thing to do. They have so many of his lines that he's done over the years to do so. And with him, not probably not going to be replaced in the new injustice game because that would be really bad for them to do just to retire his character in the injustice series again that's just my opinion that would be really the most respectful thing to do whether or not they do that or not i don't know anyway besides batman ash williams would be really good especially with the new evil dead movie coming out with his chainsaw arm he would be really great to do 
Hellboy, I know they did it for Injustice, but bringing him into the world of Mortal Kombat would be amazing. Another person, Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe, another character that would be amazing in the Mortal Kombat era. Uh, Michael Myers, he has yet to appear in a game, which was interesting because I figured he was going to be released with Jason Voorhees, uh, Leatherface, Predator, Alien, but no, he's still open and has yet to appear in a Mortal Kombat game. He's another great person that uh, we can do. Ghostface would be another person. Judge Dredd would be cool. And honestly, it'd be awesome if they got Stallone to do the voice, but I wouldn't mind Carl Urban either. Speaking of Carl Urban, uh, they could easily bring Butcher from the boys into this. Heck, they could do Homelander. He would be amazing in a Mortal Kombat game. Oh my God, that'd be really cool. Another person, John Wick would be insane. Uh, v from Vendetta would be really cool. Ellen Ripley from Aliens would be amazing. Laura C Croft would be another one that'd be kind of cool to have. So there's still many old and new characters that would fit in with the craziness that is Mortal Kombat. So who knows, maybe we'll get these characters and maybe we won't. I'm very curious to see who they'd add. Uh, anyway, moving on, the new gameplay trailer for Suicide Squad Kills the Justice League has released. And it looks awful. It really does, which is a shame. They gave everybody a gun, which is something that they didn't need to do. It just seems lazy. Deadshot having a gun makes sense, okay? That's his whole stick. Harley, maybe. I would be... I was very surprised I didn't see anything with her hammer, her bat any other melee weapons, considering the fact that this takes place within the Arkham universe. And if you played Arkham Knight, she uses different uh, melee weapons, not just guns. Another person that they gave a gun, which makes no sense, is Captain Boomerang. They gave him a shotgun. And they gave uh, King Shark a minigun. Why? Captain Boomerang should just be throwing boomerangs. Maybe having different versions, specialties like explosive, freezing, or anything that would make his attacks different. I mean, remember what I said, this takes place in the Arkham Universe. If they can give Batman unlimited batarangs, they can do the same thing with Captain Boomerang. And honestly, I expected more from Rocksteady. Especially with them making, arguably, the best Batman game ever. I really don't know what's going on with Warner Brother properties. Uh, becoming games because they've sucked the last two games uh, well okay let me rephrase that the last game Gotham Knights was terrible and with this game coming out and with the gameplay it just looks like Anthem and Avengers 2.0 and you know what's funny at least in Avengers each character had their own moveset they were different and it's just the only thing that makes these guys different is how they move around. Captain Boomerang is able to throw Boomerang and speed himself to the other side. Harley Quinn is able to run, do acrobatics uh, with a grappling gun or whatever. Deadshot's able to fly. Like, that's it. That's how these guys are able to, uh, the, able to move around. That's the biggest difference. And not to mention, it's going to be another live service game. So if you want to play by yourself, you have to have an internet connection. And they're going to add loot boxes. So, yeah, this, this is not looking good. Not looking good at all. And if this sucks, Rocksteady is going to have a hell of a time building back the faith of gamers everywhere. Ah, uh, yeah, not, uh, not good at all. 
Uh, moving on, Destiny 2 is making a nice little comeback with Lightfall. That's right, I'm going back into Destiny, yay! Uh, I'm only going back because my friends convinced me, and honestly, seeing the trailers for Lightfall, it looks great. I'm super glad the Vex are not the main villains, because out of all the enemies, they annoy me the most. Uh, another thing coming out, Baldur's Gate 3 is finally releasing on all platforms in August. I know some people are like, wait a minute, John. Baldur's Gate 3 has been out for PC for a while. And yes, while Baldur's Gate 3 has been released on Steam for the past two years, that was the early access. It was not the full product, so it's cool that it's coming out for all consoles. And it'll be cross-play so we can play with friends. Uh, Resident Evil 4 is looking better and better with each trailer. It's looking like they've improved on everything, so I'm excited. Battlefield 2042 is coming out with Season 4, the 11th hour, which is introducing a new map, tech to the game, uh, some skins for guns, and I like how the devs have been communicating with fans on their podcast, which is something I did not know they had. And it's good to see them try to rectify the terrible launch they had. And it's coming out the 28th of this month, so uh, if, depending on when you're watching this episode, February of 2023. Uh, Halo Season 3 is coming out of Infinite, and it's dropping on March 7th. We'll include a few new maps, a new gun, armor ability, and a community playlist as well. It looks interesting and should hold Halo fans off for a little bit, but they still haven't released anything for a story, which was their biggest hype for the game being open world. And kind of like an RPG style, where you're getting these different armors, guns, uh, leveling up your character, which is Master Chief, and just them not releasing anything is just really bad, and it goes against the style that they went for. I'm interested to see what the heck they're going to do uh, for the future of Halo, but it does not bode well for the franchise. Uh, moving on to Nerd Theories. So, I really think Warner Brothers Studios had something to do with the direction of the recent two games. Uh, one has been released, of course, that is Gotham Knights, and the next one, which is Suicide Squad Kills the Justice League. I really think that there was meddling involved, because both Montreal Studios and Rocksteady are two very, very capable studios and have a reputation of releasing amazing games. Gotham Knights was very underwhelming with it basically having loot boxes and just being so grindy. Looks like Suicide Squad is heading that way. And with it looking like a generic shooter instead of the amazingness that was the previous games, I just don't know. Like I said, Warner Brothers does not release a lot of games based on their IP. I can't remember the last one besides Gotham Knights. I know they've been... Uh, playing around with the Lord of the Rings one, but that's been in uh, the Gollum game that has yet to be released. And honestly, I hope it doesn't release because it looks dumb. But anyway, they haven't been able to capitalize on it. I mean, heck, they have the Nether system, which is arguably one of the best modern systems, especially with how it's able to uh, warp the gameplay and add some interactions like they did in War of Mordor. But they haven't utilized that. You know how awesome would have been for a Batman game to have that? At least Gotham Knights. But it's very weird. I Like I said, best case scenario, Warner Brothers meddled in this. And it's not Rocksteady's or Montreal's fault. That is the best case scenario. Because if it that's not what happened, 
That means these guys made these terrible games on their own with the bad choices. And yeah, that would be horrible. Absolutely horrible. But anyway, that's it for my nerd theories. Moving on to current events. Megacon is approaching in Orlando and I'm going to be attending. I'm super excited. Oh, I'm going to look forward to it. I might uh, try to get a picture with Carl Weathers. I know that both uh, people who play the Kingpin and Daredevil are going to be there. So a bunch of other people and Sam Raimi is going to be there. I might actually snag a picture with him. Who knows? I'm excited for it and it's going to be happening next month. So if you guys are there, let me know. And that's it for this week's episode. So uh, one thing I want to say is that I'm getting my wisdom teeth removed next week. So there may not be an episode depending on how I feel. Like I said, it just depends on how I feel. Maybe there will be, maybe there won't be, but just stay tuned and just look just in case. So that's it for this week's episode, guys. Sayonara, see you later, and have a blessed one. Goodbye.